Welcome, neighbor, to Folk U Radio, Folk University's talk show, taking old school viral. I'm your host, Manda O'Fox Gillespie. It's embarrassing, all the stupid things I can think of to think about. Is there anything that could really bring? Today's episode is produced in collaboration with Cortez Currents, What's Current on Cortez and Beyond. Welcome to Folk U Radio's 101 show, where we ask our neighbors, what do you know? Things are changing fast in the world around us, and like many, I am thankful to be living and working on this little island in the Salish Sea. I'd like to start by taking a moment to appreciate this land and place. And I invite you to do the same, wherever you are listening from. I'd also like to recognize that this land, where the Cortez Community Radio Station sits, has been home to many before us and is part of the unceded territory of the Klahus, Slyaman, and Hamalco peoples. Thanks to the land and to all those who are part of looking after these places, we call home now. It's a tumultuous time in the world, and with all the difficulties, what is clear is that things are harder for some people than others, financially, health-wise, spiritually. We need community leaders more than ever, those who are able to, vo- to help the voiceless have a voice, that can see where the potential lies, and that can help us all be kinder, more resilient, and more harmonious as a whole. On today's show, we will begin to look at the idea of community leadership a little deeper. What is the mix of magic and resourcefulness and entrepreneurialism, I'm not even sure if that's a word, that makes us effective community leaders? How do we cultivate that resilient and spontaneous aspect of ourselves? And how do we create organizations that will support us in being responsive and visionary to the needs of our community? responsive and visionary. Even harder, how do we pivot organizations and businesses and ourselves when it is time for things to change or to let go of old ways? Later in this show, we will have Ginny Evans from the North Island Employment Foundation to discuss a bit more about how individuals can pivot in their work lives. But first, we have Colin Funk. Many of you may know Colin from his uh, role with the former Cortez Island Business and Tourism Association or with his work as one of the trustees of the Cortez Community Economic Development Association. Or maybe you are one of the lucky people who's gotten to do acting or improv work with him. Or maybe you've had Colin facilitate a community leadership development course for you or your organization. Welcome to the studio, Colin, and thank you so much for being here. Good afternoon. What a treat to be here, Amanda. Thank you. What a wonderful opening. My goodness. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, I, sometimes I don't um, like remember what I'm opening with until I get there. So uh, I, I just so. want to sit back and listen. It just sounds like <laughs> such a great frame up. Thank you. <laughs> 
Um, well, perfect. I, it sounds like a good show that we all want to be part of. Um, so uh, let's start. Because even just why we've been in the studio today, I've been learning all these amazing things about Colin that I did not know, um, including that, oh, no, maybe I shouldn't say it, but he's, he's been on the radio before. Um, so I'm really, really lucky to get to be here um, and learning from you. And I'd love if you could tell us a little bit more about your story, how you ended up on this little chunk of rock, and how you have brought your personal histories together to do work around community leadership. You bet. Yeah. By the way, uh, it's interesting we're talking about community leadership because in many regards, I'm sitting in the hub of community leadership and it's this radio station. And I'm actually really excited to be here finally because I think I've bought about 10 t-shirts. So finally, somebody within the organization said he's clear to come in for an interview. So thank you. But um, no, uh, I love this island like uh, many, and I think it's partly just because it's deep DNA. I I was raised in North Vancouver in the hills there, Lynn Canyon, uh, North Vancouver, and spent just hours as a young child in the late 60s, 70s, riding my bike unfettered. And uh, what a beautiful experience I had, just that freedom, you know. And um, it was interesting. I had what I consider uh, a leadership moment, sort of accidental leadership, by bumping into a park warden ranger interpreter uh, who was running the Lynn Canyon Ecology Center there. And I think I was grade six. And I fell in love with the notion of just putting together stuff in this ecology center. And um, I think that that idea of nature, education, the intimacy of getting people connected goes way, way back. So coming here to Cortez is sort of hard to not think I'm still, you know, grade six, but it's like a living ecology center where people come, they learn, they engage. Um, and we still have parts of this lifestyle where you're unfettered on the trails, right? You're you're able to kind of explore. So it's interesting bookend for me later in life, kind of returning, you know, that whole cliche of coming back to where we started. And that's certainly been my journey. Um, yeah, so that's kind of, you know, even though I'm, I'm known sometimes in some circles here as the mountain man, I, I uh, come from Banff, Alberta, in terms of my career, you know, my wife, Connie, and I, who live in Cortez now, we spent 30 years in Banff, Alberta, raising our kids. Um, but, uh, you know, when you when you are raised with gumboots and hear the frogs, um, and look for salamanders. It's hard not to be drawn back to that beautiful world of wonder here that I find on Cortez. That's beautiful. And I know that very ecology center, which it's a nice scale Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. which is perhaps what we all like about Cortez as well. It's a nice scale. And so with that idea of, of scale, what, how do you define or think about community sh- leadership? And what does that begin to look like here at, at mm-hmm. this kind of scale? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there, there's many, many definitions of community, community leadership even. But uh, on the simplest level, uh, to me, it's just thinking about a holistic sensibility, like what you see at that ecology center in Lynn Canyon. 
Um, it's thinking more about the community as shareholders than kind of a group of entrepreneurs or business leaders, right? And, and it's holistic in the sense that it's really the health and wellness of the community. And it kind of connects into, well, how do we create a livelihood? How do we stay healthy? And, you know, we do need to somehow engage in things that relate to currency sometimes. But really, the volunteer, the, the love economy, the uh, uh, regular economy, they're all factors that contribute to this notion of sustainability, uh, health, wellness, thrivability is a term that's often heard. You know, resilience is sometimes overused, but it is the ability to kind of um, keep moving forward, learning from our mistakes. But it has a big C community focus, right? And it's it it challenges us to think about outside of ourselves, right? And I think that's uh, a really important part of this. In what way can I contribute to create the conditions for a healthy community that ultimately create a healthy situation for me in terms of um, when I throw it? And it, it also, the currency is really social currency, right? That's the, that's the difference, right? And I think if you can get your head around that, that it's a risky piece. What if I invest a lot of my energy into into social currency as opposed to quick, regular ways of working. Um, it's interesting how that social currency in the long run is what can really give you a lot of comfort and the ability to take better risks if you know you've got a safety net there. I, just, <laughs> I have so many questions. Um, okay, so one of the things that I find um, really interesting to you as a person, about you as a person, is that you also have this improv um, acting background. And when I think about some of the things that I admire about you having gotten to see you now in a, a couple different ways in working as community leader or working in your work life, I see that you're bringing some of that spontaneity spontaneity the like kind of flow or I don't know what esoteric term we would use but I, I see that it must be influencing how you're working and so I'm wondering what you see as the the influence or the um, connection between improv or being spontaneous or artistic or creative in one part of your life and then being able to be a community leader in another big painful question for me that's the the book i haven't written yet uh, uh it, you know it's so interesting i i actually cringe when i get introduced sometimes as the director of the cortez business association or the economic development guy which is such a other smaller part of my life and yet for whatever reason um you know that that's kind of how one gets identified because people see you doing certain things but my original intention of coming here uh, apart from you know a wonderful job I had at Hollyhock, uh, being the general manager a few years ago, was this was the perfect place for me in later years to create the ultimate theater company, <laughs> you know, improv company, right? And so, you know, I am embarrassed to say I'm six years behind that project. So um, I have to kind of really work. Uh, I, I shouldn't say that. We have a beautiful improv troupe here called the Laughing Muscles which COVID has kind of knocked us silly for a little bit here, but we'll, we'll return. But no, um, I think uh, you, you touched on a really key piece for me. And, you know, if there's any advice I dare to give anybody, it would be 
learn improv. Uh, it is such a valuable tool. I was such a painful introvert when I was a kid. That's why I loved riding my bike in the woods. My mother was very nervous that I wasn't socializing. And at a very young age, uh, I think I was five or six years old, she threw me into a dance and drama class. And there I was with 12 little girls and myself. And it was a bit traumatic at first. Got a lot more interesting in my teens because that number stayed the same all the time. That ratio stayed the same. But what was interesting, um, I fell in love with the process. I was still super nervous about standing out on that stage. That took a lot of courage. But I love the fact that strangers got together and you had this really tight deadline of four weeks, six weeks, where you had to go deep on some idea, some piece of content or a story. You had to work through relationship because when you're on stage, it's high stakes and you've got to connect and trust and really um, have that leap of faith with those individuals. So that process was so beautiful for me to experience. And also, I just love the fact that we were spending time to contemplate something important. You know, it's like, if you look at, you know, many, not even great plays, most plays, novels are contemplating some complexity of the human experience. And what a treat to go offline with a bunch of strangers, build relationship, contemplate something with deep meaning, and then having the skills and the confidence through that process to illuminate those ideas to another group of strangers. So even though I worked professionally for many years as a young actor and, and uh, in my early 20s, I have still been, and even to this day, petrified and a lot of nervous energy. You never really kind of find a way to master that. You know, the, I think what I often speak to my students is usually, you know, if you're getting nervous, it's a good thing because the body's saying you're about to do something special. You know, that's kind of what I try to trick myself into thinking. But um, later in life, and I was very fortunate working at the Banff Center for many years, which is this remarkable international institution that combines arts, ecology, and culture, uh, and leadership. And uh, I was in the arts area there for many years, but I, I moved very quickly into the leadership area because I was an intermediary. Uh, there was a time in the 90s where traditional leadership training was very tired and we were looking for new ways to engage the new type of leadership that was new to, needed for the 20th century. And that was around adding some artfulness to it. So I was able to kind of connect with the arts community, bring in some of these processes or different lenses to look at complex um, leadership challenges. And the theater was such a valuable tool for me. And in some regards, made a, a quite uh, an interesting career at using theater-based processes to help people animate concepts in leadership and management. Um, you know, I never really wanted to be in that area. In fact, it was by accident, uh, a bunch of corporate guys needed a bunch of improvisers for a reception and my theater troupe was there and talking to them started to realize, wow, some of the same concepts that you're working on are what we embody naturally in a theater context. So, uh, you know, like many other, you know, um, individuals in my situation, there were people all over the planet artists and leaders kind of making sense of these disparate domains, right? And there was quite a community of us in arts-based leadership. And um, that has certainly helped to inform me around how you would approach a very fresh, engaging way 
of dealing with a complex challenge. Because in a community, what what is it? We've got a story that a bunch of people have that's problematic to some, that's an opportunity to others. So what if you approached community development, economic development, from the narrative, by interrogating the narrative, by thinking about parallel tools that you might have in the theater? So all of that stuff can get real heady and complex and that, but it's like, wow, I would like to bet that if you trained on a regular basis of stepping into an empty space, trusting yourself, getting past your inner critic, not stacking ideas, just trusting and making the ordinary extraordinary, that is such a powerful set of tools that I think map on very well to the work that we do. So that's why, you know, underneath all of the stuff that, you know, I love strategic planning. I love the logical part of giving a structure. Um, but underneath that, for me, is big, big freedom. And I see a strategic plan, nothing more than freedom within a structure, right? But it's, you know, we, we have, our, our culture has very different ideas about what a strategic plan is, what an improv actor is. But for me, it's a big, messy, fuzzy, beautiful area where it all combines. Oh, I just, I, I, my brain is lighting up all over the place with, with all the bits and pieces that I could really resonate um, with that. Um, so way back in my uh, background, I lived and worked for many years in Chicago. And Chicago, if you're from Chicago, um, or if you're from the States, you probably know that Chicago is quite well known for its improv. Um, and they are the home right. of something called Second, Second City. Second City, the birthplace. Yeah, um, that's right. Amazing improv, which has fed uh, Saturday Night Live, mm -hmm. um, kind of all the great Saturday Night Live uh, people. Not all of them, but many of them came through Second City. And I so I always... I love that form of comedy um, and but never felt like I could do that. Right. Like that is something that somebody else does. And I and I've always wondered, like, how much do they prepare? Like how like what does it mean to be able to be that sharp, that on it, that um you know, it's just a joke a second, right? Like there's there's not downtime. So do you practice a whole bunch of jokes that just in case you flow in or you really, is it really Are about- Are asking me to, to give up the trade secrets? Yeah, here? yeah, trade oh, secrets, trade secrets, oh, trade secrets. Wow. Well, 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 anyway, all you, that stuff. <laughs> you know what, Keith Johnson from Calgary, uh, who invented the whole theater sports format, has a beautiful book called Impro. But um, it's interesting, he talks a lot about rehearse, work, develop, and then don't be prepared, right? We have this notion of don't be prepared. And when you see those improvisers, those master improvisers, it looks like, how the hell did they do that? Where did that come from? But you're not seeing the 10,000 hours. You're not seeing all sorts of beautifully complex structures that each of them are handing off to each other on a regular basis. There's a whole means, language, and way of working that we don't see because they're in the moment, but it's years and years of practice that's embodied. And you do that work, and then you say, let it go. No notes. You're not stacking any ideas. You trust the process. You have all what you need, and away you go. And for me, that, that's a, a remarkable parallel to empower all individuals, right? You know, you have all that you need to run this show today. Uh, and there's, you know, 
throw away the notes, all that stuff. Just, you know, trust the process. It's good to be prepared, though. So you kind of want to have time where you've practiced or you've thought about things. But um, it's a really interesting notion that um, it just doesn't come out of thin air. It comes from long endurance and hard work of going through and rehearsing. And I think that's, that's one of the really cool connections here with community development is um, some groups rehearse a lot. Some groups don't. And it's fascinating. You've got a project. You've just got a, you've got a new grant. You know, how are you practicing and rehearsing for that to be uh, a successful project? Or are you, it's a new idea, a grant, away we go. It's usually the groups that are kind of in the muck working on things. And I think in Cortez, my experience, so many of the nonprofits are so hard on themselves about we're burning out, we can't get along, we can't do this, that. And, you know, they're practicing, they're rehearsing. Because if you look at the outcome, it is remarkable what we actually produce here. And we get confused about the messy process. Um, I, I, I use Cortez all the time when I'm talking about specific examples about how to get things done in bigger centers all the time. Because, you know, there's just some re- really unique things that we have practiced and rehearsed and refined here. But it's, it's a blind spot for us, right? We, we, we sometimes look outside too much around what the bar is, and we don't realize what um, beautiful kind of processes that we've crafted. But I think that there's something really profound about prepare, re- rehearse, prepare, and then don't be prepared. Live in the moment. Be tuned into who's in your group, how you're communicating to each other, that, you know, being fully present. Lots, lots there on the, the parallels of improv theater and community development for me anyway. Oh yeah, this, this, I love this. This is perfect. So when, um, you know, as we're talking to community leaders and in particular this community of Cortez, um, or other communities who are similar, when, when we are speaking to those leaders and those social profit organizations, whatever form they may take, how, what kind of, um, organizational structure or, you know, like the, the, the practicable skills, the skills that you know are going to hold true practice after practice after practice, what of those things do you point to that are sort of like, okay, figure out these things, practice on how you're going to um, provide this kind of structure and then be messy within it. Mm -hmm. So what are those like elements of, of that that structure or that framework that you encourage uh, individuals or or nonprofits to start putting in place, or I guess businesses even, right? That are like here. Here's this. If we make the stage up of these elements, then even if not every you know session is is yeah. a laugh a second, it's going to lead you somewhere. You know, it it sounds incredibly simple, but it's just relationship. I can't stress how often groups bypass that. Um, so few groups developed uh, operating norms or just ways to talk to each other. We're, we're kind of drawn in by the purpose, right? And the kind of actions that will kind of move something forward. There's, there's a real comfort in seeing things move forward, uh, mobilizing resources and making things happen. And Sometimes that extra time in getting to know people 
and really getting clear on their strengths, um, what what some of their desires are, gets bypassed because you know you've got a two hour agenda and we're going to kind of move through there. Rarely do groups do a proper check in. Uh, rarely do groups ever finish a conversation and say, "Hey, how did that go?" Oh, interesting. Like, do you feel complete? You know, it's like, okay, when's the next meeting is usually the last thing we talk about. And, you know, life is so short that, you know, those that find a way to combine what they're seeking in life with this group of individuals that can help enable your goals, can help create stories of your life journey, and to kind of not deepen that aspect and just getting right into the task is um I, I think it robs us of of why we do it in the first place but it's it, it's another blind spot right because we feel like okay that's touchy-feely stuff and i can't tell you how many times you know that's been my journey trying to introduce some of this it's just it doesn't have value well it sure does have value when the group is stuck when people leave when bad decisions are made because we're not hearing people properly so for me, you know, it's interesting. In an ideal world, nonprofits would do nothing for me except build relationship for a year. You know, like, what would that look like? <laughs> like and, you know, maybe that's a bit extreme, but I, I, I am still to this day, even though we know what we know about how, to, how communication is so critical, you know, we'll spend a lot of time at, at working at online solutions or other kind of tools but not getting down to just that deep, deep time of investing in knowing each other. Uh, this is really pertinent um, for me right now because I have been, today I've had a lot of feelings about this question, which is how do you be a community leader and help uh, try to, give ideas or resources of things that you've learned of, of places you see that we could go without sounding is righteous, the right word, right? Where you're, where it's underlying with judgment as if what is right for me is therefore right for everyone. I feel like it's such a important, um, like pathway that we have to practice is to be, is to lead without the judgment, right? To lead without that edge of what is right for me is right for everyone. Can you talk a little bit about um, how, how these things you're just talking about, um, the relationship aspect, I see this as being really key in softening the idea. And also improv, right? Where you're able to step in and embody an entirely different persona, Mm-hmm. Um, these things seem really important to me. Can you give, um, you know, leaders or wannabe leaders a little bit more idea about how to walk that fine line? Yeah, I think um, we still, th- there's some language around leadership that causes some problems, right? Because a lot of people have predetermined idea of leader, which is, you know, individual out front kind of breaking ground. And if, you know, if you look at the leadership literature, there's a hundred different definitions of it. One area that I think is really valuable in a community leadership context here is around what's called kind of invisible leadership, where you're literally setting the conditions for others to kind of 
enact and move forward, right? It's very difficult because a lot gets dumped on individuals here to drive a particular process because you just don't have the breadth of capacity. So quite often, an individual gets often identified as the group. You know, um, there was a time where I was perceived as the Chabada guy. And, you know, there was lots of other people there, but, you know, you're the one that's kind of doing stuff. It's so critical, even when that leader has the some really good ideas, for those to work, you really have to kind of find ways to create that idea base to kind of trickle down or to have others embrace these things. And when you hold on to that, it's it becomes very onerous and very difficult. So for me, the, the community leadership model that I see on Cortez that works well, and I see in other, other smaller communities too, is when the individuals are creating the conditions for the others to kind of grow and own ideas. It's, you're, not, um, you're not holding on to that idea as an identity piece, and you have to let go of that. And that's been a really interesting journey for me because, you know, when I do all these wonderful leadership assessments, you know, uh, one is called foresight. And it's like, you know, in a creative process, you clarify, you generate ideas, you develop ideas, you execute. I always score fairly high in the ideation, lots of ideas. And I get super energized when I'm in that space. I don't, I don't pay a lot of attention to the front end. I love being able to generate those ideas that gives me a real buzz. And then I kind of lose energy around the, the development and the execution. Now that's a, that's a real liability for me, right? Cause that means I don't get engaged in the process as fully as I could. I've got to figure out how to kind of back off in that space. And even if I have some ideas, let others take it and run with it rather than kind of holding on to it. And a lot of this work is around finding leaders that are willing to let go, to be vulnerable, right? And these are sort of uh, counterintuitive to what our culture thinks the leader is, brave, courageous, going to go in there and pound on the desk and get that grant or whatever. It's like, it's it's a milder form of just creating conditions. It's kind of building the right architecture or the designing success by thinking about the structures. And so even even in my current role in in, uh, in CETA, and we'll likely talk about that later, um, I would love to be right out front with a lot of big ideas I have for that organization. But I know right now the most important thing for that organization is on the relationship side and some strategy. And you know, it's tough and boring work to kind of crunch ideas down into focus areas and goals. But I know that that structure, if that's in place, it's going gonna, it's gonna to allow a bunch of those individuals there to just illuminate their talents and away we go. Doing work, really slogging through how to create structures for communication, uh, conflict resolution, all of that stuff that is very tedious and complex. I feel like even though I, I, I don't excel greatly in that area, I feel like that's a really important piece that I should probably help to work on to create the structure to enable these individuals to, to really blossom. So it's a tough thing to kind of let go of, you know, my top ideas. It's not that I don't share that, but I'm not going to drive it right now. And it's a funny thing. 
you create this other structure in place, those ideas that you had originally quite often manifest anyway, right? And that's the trust piece, right? That if I think about, I'm working in an ensemble, I've got, I've got some great ideas here, I'll, I'll let it sit. What's really needed to enable this group to be a high-performance team? That's, that's the, the big question there. So interesting. So you are listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio. This is Folk U Radio's 101 show. We have on today Colin Funk and we're talking about community leadership, what it looks like, and also getting down to some specifics, particularly with Cortez. So we are now going to transition to some of those details, so those specifics. So Colin just no. gave us yeah, <laughs> just gave us um, a little uh, preview of what's to come. So this is going to be a jumble of questions, but and I'm going to use so many acronyms, all of our heads are going to spin, but awesome. I'll, tr- I'll try to... New lexicon, uh, <laughs> new, new jargon. I'm going to try to remember what the acronyms actually stand for. And what I want to know is... Um, Multifold. One, I want to know a little bit more about CETA, which is the Cortez Community Economic Development Association. But in particular, I want to know a little bit about this LEAP report, which I'm going to assume stands for something like Local Economic Action Plan. Cortez Local Economic Action Plan. You got it. All right. Um, I'm a master decoder of acronyms. Um, And so I want to know what what this is what and what it has told us what is what are the secrets buried in the um the cortez local economic action plan um where are we going to go how are we going to create that community that can you know try to sustain itself enough or you know be of a, a full community place to live in and then this is going to lead to what happened to Chibata. But don't start with it because I, I think we're going to we're going to go there. Um, well, you start wherever you want, because this is improv, uh, improv radio, improv radio. Awesome. Uh, what's the secret of the leap report? Yeah, wow, I mean, that's great. Well, yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that. But you know what yeah. I think it is when I'm thinking about it now? Uh, the fact that um, we were much better consultants than the three parties we hired. I think that's the secret which everyone said in advance <laughs> that we need a Cortez-made plan. The challenge was, of course, when you get external funding, you've got to use a third-party consultant, which is classic. And I, I understand that for objectivity and that, and we did steal some good processes from them. But the secret was we have all the talent here to not only produce a good report, but to have a business of community consultants. <laughs> like the talent to pull this thing together. And by the way, if you haven't seen it, it's on the the CETA website. You can pull down the, the LEAP report. The LEAP report was created in uh, uh, 2017 over a two-year period. Um, so yeah, lots to talk about there around what it is. It's basically a plan, a roadmap that helps to focus our efforts into an economic strategy. It's really what it is. And if we were a municipality, it would be part of the economic development plan that the town manager would, like this happens all across the country. You have a town manager and they create with their staff an economic development plan. We don't have that. 
which is another amazing thing that, you know, we have created, you know, we filled in the vacuum of this economic development piece through nonprofit and volunteer expertise. That's a success story that I tell all over this country when I can in terms of, yeah, we did this through focus groups and surveys and meeting or out on the beach and all that good stuff. So it's basically a roadmap. And, you know, in many regards, it started back in 2012 with the community plan, right? The community plan. And I think um, we're due for another one at some point, right? These are important documents. I wasn't here then. That was a big deal. And in that, you know, there were many, many aspirations and outcomes. In there, it uh, included... Um, some recommendations to create more of an economic development focus, even an economic development officer. So we were kind of building off of that. And I have to say, Nova Anderson was an incredible inspiration around this whole process, what she knew. And, you know, just working with her has been a real highlight just to learn how she... I, I learned so much watching her facilitate in this environment. You know, I'd facilitated many, many different environments, but what she did, and she really held the torch on the importance of this document. I didn't think it was that important in the beginning, but now, post-LEAP, it's one of the few things that helps a lot of us focus on, are we moving in the right direction? Oh, this is the way we could tie into some bigger community themes. This is really an alignment document. Now, it's not perfect. Uh, it's not complete. You know, we had 250 residents do a pretty comprehensive survey. We had nine focus groups with all sorts of different sectors represented. We had two or three community forums. Pretty good for a little island. Um, better than when I worked on the Banff community plan. I mean, in terms of what we were doing, without a doubt. Um, but, um, you know, it, as imperfect as it is, and, you know, it's been birthed, which is so exciting because we have a template now. We have focus areas. We have, uh, you know, that, that map to say, we got to pay attention to trends. Let's update this. We got to pay attention to what our strengths are. What's up? What's down? What are the demographics that are changing on island? What are the opportunities? So that piece, to me, leap has been successful, but is not completely successful until we update it and it has a continual kind of evolution, right? Otherwise, it will be like all other reports, unfortunately, that sometimes sit on the shelf. It's already um, provided a huge amount of value to many groups because we're able to, when we apply for a grant, by referring to the LEAP is a super valuable thing for external granting agencies to look at because, well, you're not just making this out of thin air. There was a community process. And even though it's incomplete, there's a good sense that this is an important thing to pay attention to. So that alone, the LEAP provides a really good blueprint and a base for all the other nonprofits to kind of benchmark and to kind of use to justify uh, in some regards where, where they may want to be applying for uh, funds. So um, it's incomplete in some regards, but at the same time, it was a huge effort that got us to a particular level of focusing our many, many 
and it's a complex process, right? When you look at the sectors in this island, um, you know, from forestry, shellfish, uh, tourism, education, um, you know, artistry, artisans, um, you know, Clahous, all of their economic development work. It, it is really quite a diverse island. And one of the, you know, that diversity is beautiful. At the same time, you know, we don't have structures like a chamber of commerce or other organizational structures because in some regards we're too small, right? Or we're just so focused on getting our industry or our business off that we don't have the luxury of alliances, right? And so that's what the leap tried to address, right? Okay, how do we create a structure? And really, this kind of ties in with the evolution of Chibata. One of the recommendations out of leap was create an organization that its sole purpose was to foster economic development on the island with a big picture um, view, right? So, you know, in some regards, that was an interesting way to help with the change of where we were at with CETA. But that was one of the recommendations um, uh, in that report. The, 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 the structure of it really is what's called a, um, an output, uh, a logic model. We created a logic model, which means you have the ultimate outcome, which is, you know, a, a healthy, thriving Cortez community in right relations with the land, right? That's the kind of beautiful outcome. And then you kind of go backwards into intermediate outcomes, um, all the way down to activities and goals, right? And so in the middle of the LEAP report, you see this logic model that has dozens and dozens and dozens of activities that lead to outcomes that are immediate, and then they move into the ultimate outcome. So that's just kind of a framework that, you know, you use. And then all of the other focus area sectors have real specific goals and actions. When you look at that, I, I, I was rereading that recently, and it's like, oh, man, there's so much there that we haven't even got to. But that's okay, right? But there's some really juicy, beautiful stuff in there. Big, big aspirational stuff. And the idea is, let's keep this alive. And every year, we look at those big pictures, uh, ideas, we adjust them to the context that's changing. Some drop off, but we hold those, right? So we don't have to reinvent that process. That's what I'm really excited by. And what one of the main goals of CETA uh, for the new year is to um, move that whole leap process online so it can be a little bit more interactive, uh, but also to refresh that each year. That's kind of one of the main goals of, of the organization. And do you have um, any kind of specific juicy details that stand out to you, like a, a vision that you're like, oh, yeah, I never even thought about that. But if only we had more covered gazebos um, or, you know, or something. <laughs> well, um, the, the, the three key areas were um, housing, economic development, and capacity building, right? So those are the three kind of major building blocks that are kind of attached to the outcomes. Uh, it's pretty cool. Um, big issue when we did the, the community forums was housing, and this was just at the time Rainbow Ridge was being purchased. So, you know, it, it's interesting when you look at 
the energy in the report, no doubt that a lot of energy shifted in, into that. Uh, a commons, you know, this was a piece that comes up all the time. And I have my own personal interest in this for many different reasons, but um, the opportunity for us to kind of build off of where we have people, inter intersections of where people can meet. And this is so critical, right? Because of the nature of Cortez, where we have, you know, it's very easy for us to not connect because of the way our physical properties are uh, by the nature of this, the physical landscape. And it's so critical that there are spaces that are not part of any particular subculture, but they're just kind of open community spaces that have this massive interaction for what's called accidental innovation, right? Where you bump into each other and you cultivate serendipity by showing up like things happen because you happen to be there at the right time. You know, we've got places where we meet, but there could be places that are more dynamic, more inclusive, more interactive, right? So thus the, the seat of property, that's one idea that it could be a commons, right, of some interaction. And th there could be a bunch of smaller sub-commons, but it was very clear that we've got to find ways for there to be synergy between the sectors. So how do you do that? You've got to have a meeting space. And, you know, it was interesting. Years ago, I, I had a very interesting job up in Dawson City, Yukon. I was running Canada's most northern visual arts school. And... Uh, I only made it there for a year. It's a pattern in my life, just like Hollyhock. But um, I did go through the Dawson winter, and uh, it was intense. It was like minus 40 sometimes for quite a long period of time. And I was destined to walk to work. So I would get all my gear, my goggles, and you know, walk a kilometer to, to the school. But what was interesting, um, here's 800 people in that community. It's dark. You know, you have light from 10.30 to 2.30. There were six bars that were open during the winter. Now, that's a problematic in some ways, but when you go to the bar, it didn't look like a bar. People are playing Trivial Pursuit. People in the corner are knitting. Um, these were um, spaces all year round where the guys that lived way out in the, um, in the gold mines were there with the indigenous community, we're there with the artists. So it's really interesting that you've got to have these spaces, and I'm not not advocating, uh, you know, necessarily a bar, but structures, spaces where everybody is welcome and has some meaning. It's almost like you'd have a space where, you know, Cortez days, you know, that vibe we have at Cortez days. So what type of structure would allow us to have those type of individuals attracted to being in that place at the same time. So for me, lots of the leap stuff was really around, we got to create physical structures. Uh, and now there's a bigger question around COVID with how the online stuff has moved us forward on whether um, that also is part of the equation that wasn't there before, but that was one of the, the big pieces on, you know, trail systems, bike paths, connecting to nodes of community connectivity and physical spaces. I, I, you heard it here first, folks. Sita is going to start a bar. 
on Cortez. No. A <laughs> juice bar. <laughs> juice bar. <laughs> Made from evergreen trees. It'll be a green juice bar. Um, uh, no, but uh, I mean, I think perhaps like, yes, uh, COVID has made us realize that both the opportunity and also the need to have a little bit more equity in the online yeah. connection world, but certainly has also made us aware that we do not have commons. That's right. We yeah. do not have yeah. places that aren't basically individual, you know, that don't belong just to like a restaurant or a store or a, you know, maybe the closest is the halls, but even then they're indoors, they're small, they, they have their own kind of mandates and needs. And we are just really lacking. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting, you know, if you look at what's happened in the world the last little while with, you know, protests and other things like a community needs a space to speak, right? Uh, it needs a place to mourn together, right? And, you know, we know in health, if people don't talk, they get sick. Well, communities are the same. They get sick if they don't talk. So where's our talking space, right? We've got little bits, like there there are some spaces, but um, thinking about the commons um, where we can, where a group of people can share their outrage about something, you know, in a peaceful protest where people can honor someone or something that has passed, uh, sharing some insights, celebrating talent. Um, you know, it's that old little community gazebo, <laughs> you know, it's like, but the commons, I think, is something, uh, a really powerful concept that can be multidimensional. You know, it can be, it, it could link into an online component too, but where is that? Uh, how is, I, I don't know, it, but compelling idea. Yeah, and it really makes me feel so uh, appreciative that CETA is starting to take on that role of looking after our our common spaces. So not just like a physical commons, but also who's thinking about the things that are in between, mm -hmm. issues of equity, mm -hmm. um, issues of transportation and access, issues of um, alternative energy sources, issues of whatever they are. Um, it's, it is the downside of not having uh, a municipality or a municipal structure is that those things do not belong in any one place. And so, you know, having, to me, having a community economic development association is trying to put at least some of those things and at a home, in a home, so that there are someone is thinking about them, uh, collecting data about them, just helping get us to the next level. Um, and I, is that true? I mean, do you see that as being somewhat of this oh, role indeed. of CETA? Yeah, and you know, one of the other recommendations was uh, to have an island economic development officer, right? And so, you know, we started that process. Adam McKinty was our uh, kind of executive director, coordinator, um, that's still shy of, I think, the fuller idea of, you know, a, a coordinating office or, you know, a full-time individual who is really helping to leverage funding, setting up educational programming, um, working with our local investment co-op that we're starting to kind of blossom. So that that was a, that was a, a very important, uh, that, that, you can trace that idea all the way back to the community plan back in 2012, right? Which is amazing. These things take time, right? You know, they, they take time. So 
this is a good time to talk about ciabatta. The bread. That's the other thing. Like, we should have just said, you know what? We're just going to, with our kiosk, we're just going to sell bread now. That's it. Are you okay? Okay. We're just going to sell bread. Oh, my God. It, besides having a really bad acronym, no offense, um, can you tell us um, w- what Chaibata was? And the thing that I really want, that I am so excited about, is that this idea that when an idea, organization, leader has fulfilled its mission, that it can let go. Like, what does it mean to, to purposely make something obsolete so that it can be reborn. Um, I, so tell us the story. <laughs> well, that that's one story, and I like that story. I think it was more of a transformation than a complete um, funeral service. But um, I have to say, um, I've had so many incredible experiences on Cortez. Uh, my time with Chibata, uh was by far a deep learning experience <laughs> or <laughs> through a lot of frustration. Uh, I, I was kind of um, invited onto that group at, when I was working at Hollyhock. Um, and at the time, the structure was the Cortez uh, Business and Tourism Association was in some regards um, a smaller version of the um, Quadra Island, uh, Discovery Island's Chamber of Commerce, right? So, um the Chamber of Commerce, and this is sort of more of a traditional model, um, based in Quadra, um, Cortez was sort of a committee. We were a subcommittee. That's what it was, yes. We were a subcommittee of the Chamber of Commerce. Now, good intentions there. You know, it was really around um, the traditional model of a Chamber of Commerce, which promotes businesses, right? And um, nothing wrong with that. However, for some individuals in the community, the word tourism and business are big triggers, right? And I I almost found this comical coming from Banff, where, you know, I sat on the Banff Lake Louise Tourism Committee as a member of the Bow Valley Naturalists, right? Like I was the, the green guy, critiquing this you know global industrial tourism committee so coming here um and getting pushback from many individuals why was i bothering you know with this tourism and business thing that was going to destroy the island now that's not it's such an interesting story i would say uh, a good percentage of people really uh, appreciated uh, what Chibata was doing. It came out of trying to promote a lot of the local um, um, bed and breakfasts, uh, tours, you know, Misty Isles, you know, um, you know, the Gorge. I mean, it was really just saying, here we are. Um, but a lot of other individuals, you know, are not interested in the expansive nature. And you would, you would, you can see where tourism goes wrong. And, you know, it's interesting Banff from the outside looks like a real mess, right? There's three million people that come through that town, right? But it's also interesting in that it's the only community in Canada that has a red line around the town where you cannot expand. It's the only community in Canada that has a limit to growth. 
it's the only community in Canada that has a needs reside clause where you can't have a timeshare there. You have to work there. So it's, you know, for me, there's always interesting perceptions about what is and what isn't. But um, it was very difficult for us to, and I think it was actually more, the lesson for me in Chibata was around not communicating the vision of what it was. Um, if you took the time to read on our website or what the vision was, it was it was to create holistic tourism and business. It had a huge desire, all of us, to make sure that any of the tourism and businesses that thrived here were doing it with a, a, a really mindful sense of what the ecological footprint was, right? And my take was, you better play in that space and find ways to kind of create boundaries. Because if you don't, the industrial tourism from China to Campbell River will be knocking at your door without uh, a sense of awareness about what the, the carrying capacity is here. So I had mixed, that's why I always hung in on you know, that, the tourism side where there was not a lot of interest. Uh, and I feel like right now, when I look even at the LEAP report, um, we were still suffering from a pushback on that. And I, I feel like we really need to step up a tourism working group that can help mitigate an overload of people at Hag Lake and a bunch of other things. Like that's a group of people that need to think about tourism too. It's not just the environmental concerns. You've got to go look at the whole stream of effect here. And, you know, it's like you got to do the mucky work sitting in some of the other regional tourism things to help mitigate that. It's not just putting up signs, right? So lots of confusion there. And what I really learned is, wow, that title, the Cortez Business and Tourism Association, just sort of says we are a chamber of commerce like nobody else. And if you didn't think deeply about or paid attention to what we're doing, we're there to just to promote tourism and business. And we suffered for that, right? And so it was hard to attract members. It was hard to get some of the more creative people on board. I talked to many people who, uh, you know, were crackerjacks that would just be amazing to help transform the space. It's like, oh, I don't want to be promoting tourism. And I, I would go blue in the face <laughs> trying to explain that you got to be in this space, but it was just a very difficult thing. So that led to us um, expanding the mandate. We realized that um, we've got to expand the mandate to an ec a full field of economic development, right? And taking out some of the trigger words like business and tourism. And we're going to hear a lot more about um, about that specific issue, the transformation of Kaibata, Chaibata. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to call it Kaibata. Um, so we're going to learn about the transition of the Cortez Island Business and Tourism Association to the Cortez Community Economic Development Association. Lots of details about that after a little break. You are listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio, and this is the Folk You Radio Show. We will now have a few moments um, to listen to some uh, some Hamilton, some music from the Hamilton uh, uh, show, the Hamilton play. I chose this 
because, well, one, Hamilton is a great uh, American icon, but talk about an entrepreneurial person and spirit. And also, not only that, but an incredible game-changing Broadway musical. So I felt like this show pretty much had to be played in honor of Colin. So um, we're going to listen to some of that music. You have a chance to call in. I would love to hear your questions, what you want to know about about what it means to be a community leader, about the future of economic development on Cortez. Uh, if you have other questions about Chaibata, anything else for Colin. Also, we're going to have Jenny Evans later on the show. So if you have some questions now that you would like to make sure get before her, please do call in to 250-935-0200. So that's 250-935-0200. That is Cortez Community Radio, and we are looking for you to put some of the community into community radio by calling in with your questions. Here we go. How does a bastard Orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman Dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean By providence impoverished and squalor Grow up to be a hero and a scholar The ten dollar founding father without a father Got a lot farther by working a lot harder By being a lot smarter by being a self-starter By fourteen, they placed him in charge of a trading charter and every day while slaves were being slaughtered and carted away Across the waves he struggled and kept his guard up Inside he was longing for something to be a part of The brother was ready to beg, steal, borrow, or barter Then a hurricane came and devastation rained A man saw his future drip, dripping down the train Put a pencil to his temple, connected it to his brain And he wrote his first refrain, a testament to his pain the word got around They said this kid is insane, man Took up a collection just to send him to the mainland Get your education, don't forget from whence you came And the world's gonna know your name What's your name, man? Alexander Hamilton My name is Alexander Hamilton And there's a million things I haven't done But just you wait, just you Ten, his father split, full of it, dead, ridden Two years later, see Alex and his mother bedridden, half dead Sitting in their own sick, the scent thick And Alex got better, but his mother went quick Moved in with a cousin, the cousin committed suicide Left him with nothing but ruined bride Something new inside a voice saying Alex, you gotta fend for yourself He started retreating and reading Every treatise on the shelf to do for someone less astute he would have been dead and destitute without a cent or restitution started working working for his late mother's landlord trading sugar cane and rum and all the things he can't afford scamming for every book he can get his hands on planning for the future see him now as he stands on the bow of a ship headed for a new land in new york you can be a new man in new york you can just be a new Just to wait. 
with him. Me, I died for him. Me, I trusted him. Me, I loved him. And me, I'm the damn fool that shot him. There's a million things I haven't done. Tag volunteer army in need of a shower Somehow defeat a global superpower How do we emerge victorious from the quagmire Leave the battlefield waving Betsy Ross's flag higher Yo, turns out we have a secret weapon An immigrant you know and love who's unafraid to step in He's constantly confusing, confounding the British henchmen Everyone give it up for America's favorite fighting Frenchman I'm taking this horse by the reins, wicked red coat with blood stains I am never gonna stop until I make a drop burn them up and scatter the remains down Watch me engaging them, escaping them, and raising them out I go to France for more fun I come back with more guns And ships And so their balance shifts We rendezvous with Rochambeau Consolidate their gifts We can end this war in Yorktown Cut them off at sea But for this to succeed There's someone else we need I know so he knows what to do in the trench, ingenuity and fluent in French, I mean. So you're gonna have to use them eventually. What's he gonna do in the bench, I mean? No one has more resilience or matches my practical, tactical brilliance. You want to fight for your land back? I need my right hand man back. Yeah. Get your right hand man back. You know you gotta get your right hand man back. I mean, you gotta put some thought into the land, but the sooner the better to get your right hand man back. Alexander Hamilton. Troops are waiting in the field for you. If you join us right now, together we can turn the tide. Oh, Alexander Hamilton, I have soldiers that will yield for you. If we manage to get this right, they'll surrender my heart. I was younger than you are now When I was given my first command I led my men straight into a massacre I witnessed their deaths firsthand I made every mistake And felt the shame rise in me And even now I lie awake Knowing history has its eyes I know when I was young and dreamed of glory you have no control who lives who dies who tells your story I know that we can win I know that greatness lies in you but remember from here on in history has its eyes on you 
issue of border security. And, you know, who's going to say that the borders are secure? We've got the House and the Senate debating this issue, and it's it's really astonishing that in a country founded by immigrants, immigrant has somehow become a bad word. So the debate rages on, and we continue along with this. And just like that, it's over. We tend to our wounded. We count our dead. Black and white soldiers wondering, like, if this really means freedom. Not yet. I got one job, two job, three when I need them. I got five roommates in this one studio, but I never really see them. And we all came America trying to get a lap dance from Lady Freedom. But now Lady Liberty is acting like Hillary Banks with a prenup. Banks with a prenup. Man, I was brave, sailing on graves. Don't think I didn't notice those tombstones disguised as waves. I'm no dummy. Here's something funny. You could be an immigrant without risking your lives or crossing these borders with thrifty supplies. All you got to do is see the world with new eyes. Immigrants, we get the job done. Look how far I come. Look how far I come. We get the job done. It's a hard line when you're an import, baby boy. It's hard times when you ain't sent for races. Feed the belly of the beast with they pitchforks. Rich chores done by the people that get ignored. Uh, ya se armó, ya se despertaron. It's a whole awakening. La alarma ya sonó hace rato. Los que quieren buscan, pero no se apodan como vagos. We're the same ones hustling on every level. Ten los datos. Walk a mile in our shoes. Abróchense los zapatos. I've been scoping y'all dudes. Y'all ain't been working like I do. Why y'all work ya? It hurts ya. You claim I'm stealing jobs. Oh, Peter Piper claimed he picked them. He just underpaid Pablo, but there ain't a paper trail when you living in the shadows. We America's ghost riders, the credits only borrowed. It's a matter of time before the checks all come. But immigrants, we get the job done. Look how far I come. Look how far I come. Look how far I come. We get the job done. Look how far I come. Look how far I come. Look how far I come. We get the job yet. Immigrants, we get the job done. AOA, immigrants, we don't like that. Nah, they don't play. British Empire strikes back. They're beating us like 808s and hi hats. Our own game of invasion. This ain't Iraq. Who these Fugees? What do they do for me but contribute new dreams, taxes, and tool swagger and food to eat? Cool, they flee war zones, but the problem ain't ours. Even if our bombs landed on them like the Mayflower. Buckingham Palace, a Capitol Hill. Blood of my ancestors had that all built With an ink you print on your dollar bill Oil you spill, thin red line on the flag You hoist when you kill, but still we just say Look how far I come Hindustan, Pakistan, Talandan To a galaxy far from their ignorance Cause immigrants, we get the job done Por tierra o por agua, identidad falsa Brincamos muros o flotamos en balsa La peleamos como Sandino en Nicaragua Somos como las plantas que crecen sin agua Sin pasaporte americano, porque la mitad 
de Gringolandia, es terreno mexicano. Hay que ser bien hijo de puta, nosotros les sembramos el árbol y ellos se comen la fruta. Somos los que cruzaron, aquí vinimos a buscar el oro que nos robaron. Tenemos más trucos que la policía secreta, metimos la casa completa en una maleta. Con un pico, una pala y un rastrillo, te construimos un castillo. ¿Cómo es que dice el coro, cabrón? Immigrants, we get the job done. Hello and welcome back to CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio. This is Folk U Radio 101 show, and we still have with us in the studio Colin Funk. We have been talking about all sorts of aspects of what it means to be in a role of community leadership. What is community leadership? how we can learn from each other and different experiences as a community. So I am hoping, Colin, <laughs> I'm asking, going to ask you the impossible, which is can you give us, you know, in less than a minute, a sort of recap of where we are now. And then we are in the midst of, we are at the, the climatic moment of a story where we are hearing about how Chaibata magically became CETA, where how the Cortez Island Business and Tourism Association was reborn, <laughs> thanks to the great wizards um, and witches involved into the Cortez Community Economic Development Association. So how did we get here in this, uh, in this radio show, and, how, and where are we in this story? Well, um, sure you don't want to talk about Hamilton. Um, we started, thank you. And, you know, I really appreciate this opportunity to tell this story, right? Because it's not something that um, we get to do as organizations much, right? You get little fragments there. But we were talking about this notion of community development or community economic development. And that's really what uh, CETA, uh, Cortez Community Economic Development Association, is about. And um, the idea that we're pooling our efforts as a community towards a collective vision. Uh, we're sharing resources. We're thinking about the community as the shareholder uh, separate from ourselves. So that's the kind of base we operate from. And in many regards, all the nonprofits, the, I think there's 34, someone had told me, or I heard recently there's 34 nonprofits here, are all contributing to that. Uh, businesses are contributing to that. Families and, you know, so, so we have we have this uh, ecosystem of community economic development. Uh, we talked uh, from there about what it takes to be a community leader and um, what type of leadership um, to kind of move ideas forward. And um, my uh, experience has been around paying attention to leadership and leaders who invest in getting to know people playing to their, getting to know their strengths and playing to their strengths, as opposed to carrying the torch and that older model of charismatic leadership. It's sort of a, the, the modern leadership, I believe, for community economic development is that of paying great 
care and attention to relationship uh, and a form of invisible leadership, creating structures for people to be successful. And then we talked about uh, the LEAP report. Um, You know, we all have different visions of what this place could be, should be. And it's strange, but something as simple as a report, (laughs) even though there's a lot of animosity and negativity around reports, what it does is it coalesces a vision, right? Um, we have lots of pretty pictures in the LEAP report too. So maybe maybe there's more to it. Thank you, Brittany. Uh, B. Um, she created beautiful uh, images in there. So you need an image, right? People need an image to help with their strategies, their aspirations. And quite often, a place. We talked about a commons. What is the place where people can come together to envision? So that's uh, an important part of the mosaic there of community leadership is um, understanding where you are, what your connection is um, to place, uh, having particular structures, you can contribute your life energy, your love, your strengths, and the how. How is it done? It's done with great care, empathy, vulnerability, a desire for learning through one's mistakes, and setting others up for success. And you gotta print a 65-page report with appendix sometimes uh, in order to make all those pieces come together. I want it to be magic, and instead it's a 64-page report. That that sums up a lot of... <laughs> there was magic there. <laughs> you know, we, we used my yurt for uh, a lot of the meetings, so there's a circular energy there that I think might have contributed to that. Perfect. All right. So tell us about this moment where the Cortez Island Business and Tourism Association, um, which created the LEAP report, decided that it was going to change its very being, its very mandate. Yeah. I mean, I think there was a big push coming from the need to open up this space that CETA is right now. I mean, the context of what was happening in the world and also just energy on the ground. I, for me, I really like to pay attention to where the energy is. Even though there's a good idea, where really is the energy uh, of, of all of this? And um, another uh, interesting idea or metaphor for thinking about organizational life is, you know, what, what period of life form is the organization? You know, is it toddler stage? I, you know, I'd say CETA is right now, newly formed, we're kind of in our teen years, you know, we're kind of working things out. Um, Other organizations, they've been around for a long time. And, you know, it's almost like how you, as as I turn into my senior years, there's certain things you don't change easily with, right? There's, this is the way we do things. And I think Chibata was at that point where the architecture was designed with a particular worldview of this is the way things operate. And we didn't. We hadn't adjusted appropriately. How do you change things when you know? That's tough, right? Because people are hanging on to a particular way of of working. Others want to change. Do you shut the whole thing down? And then that can sometimes feel like a failure. Uh, but sometimes you have to do that, right? Um, like individuals, organizations have a lifespan, right? we were likely in some form of palliative care. You know, we were not quite able to really 
initiate things. You know, we, we had to rely a lot on grants to kind of keep going and all of that. But anyway, that gets to be a little bit complicated. But it's tough. But you have to have a real honest kind of take at, are we relevant? You know, how often do we ask that when we're moving through our work? Uh, how often are we adjusting to the context around us? Are we relevant? And if you're not, let the energy go somewhere else. We were lucky in that Chibata didn't really disappear. It it went from, you know, the caterpillar to the butterfly. I mean, it did transform, right? We had to make some legal changes. We had to change the vision and the mission, the strategy, the board makeup, you know. But I still... Um, really hold huge admiration and honor for all of us that were part of that process for, you know, near 10 years, uh, eight years. Um, Chibata is responsible for the platform that CETA has been operating in and is the architect of the LEAP report, right? So, you know, it's sort of like a parent that kind of works at a certain level and then the assets are kind of turned over to a new energy. Uh, so um, it was... A big learning piece. Uh, I think more organizations should probably think deeply about have we run our course here? And, you know, how do you determine whether you're just kind of creating activities that will keep the organization alive rather than the mandate or the outcome? You know, that those are really difficult things. And it and it really challenges a board to continually be thinking about their purpose, right? Um, you know, we, we kind of get aware of that around our AGM sometimes or when we're writing a brochure or a grant. But, you know, how do you keep that sense of purpose uh, uh, and, and understanding the context so that purpose is in sync with what's going on? And be courageous to make the decisions around um, ending that cycle, and transforming into into something else. It's fascinating, you know. When I when I go back to uh, one little side note here, when I look back at um, uh, Banff, I used to be the community development officer in Banff, and when I was there in the late '80s, early '90s, there was 120 nonprofits, which was quite remarkable. But it's a dynamic place, right? And so um, I used to do grant writing and support for that group board development and such. Uh, I checked in with my colleague who still works there uh, last year, and she said there was about 25 nonprofits. And I was curious, like, what happened? Because there's still tons of stuff that's going on. And she said, well, you know, it's interesting. We kind of have the same amount of groups, but they're not incorporated. They kind of live on the web. And it tends to be millennials that have a really good idea. They form a website and some campaign, and they go and do something. They're not following the nonprofit kind of structure and Robert's rules of order. And I thought that was really interesting, right? So it's another interesting uh, thing to consider that the way nonprofits, social profits are operating may look very different. And things are still getting done that are not named or seen as nonprofits, right? So that makes me think what is happening here in Cortez with a group of three, four people that just get stuff done. How are they any less or more effective than an organization that's been around for 30 years with a constitution? 
I like that's one of the reasons I like this new term that I've been hearing that I've been trying to use myself of social profit, because I see on Cortez and folk university has been part of that, right? We're not a nonprofit or a charity. We we exist at the at the behest of the community. If other organizations and members are finding this useful, then we can keep on going. And, you know, when it's time to be done, we can be done. I think that's, a, you know, a, a really critical term because, you know, it's such a negative, you know, the nonprofit. And you look at the social currency that we generate in the love economy and all the other things that relate to our volunteer capacity. There is social profit running forth full in the bucket here. And, you know, it sounds a bit jargony sometimes and people don't quite get that, but we are generating social profit through our volunteer efforts, right? There's no non-profiting here. Oh, I, 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 I love that aspect. That's really great. So this is a great lead into my final question for you, which is what is your advice for people on Cortez or other islands who are looking to get more involved? That can be through creating more meaningful work, work that they feel is like is more in service to their community um, or by being involved with with an existing social profit or or just going out and doing something that they feel like is a gift that they have to give to the community. Mm, how, yeah. how do people get started? Um, wow. Good questions. I feel like I'm moving into my dad mode with my kids here. Um, you know, um, actually, that's it, a family joke, not so much a joke, but um, I'd often talk about um, leadership competencies around the dinner table with the kids, you know, the, the, the poor kids with having a facilitator father, right? Sticking uh, self-assessments in stockings at Christmas, you know, so we could all connect. Um, lead, paying attention is one of the number one leadership competencies, paying attention. And it's really interesting in a culture where we are overwhelmed in social media, narrative wars, the capacity to pay attention is becoming so marginalized. And yet that is a huge competency for leadership and knowing what to do. Keeping aware, and that, that sometimes means being uncomfortably aware. I recall years ago being at a subway in New York and this woman had the Pink Floyd t-shirt, you know, comfortably numb, you know, and it was really, so what's the, what's the opposite of that? Uncomfortably aware. I think anytime we can kind of cultivate the energy to kind of remain in that uncomfortably aware space to understand this island, the context we're operating in, how we relate, huge. The other one is around once you're aware uh, having awareness of your strengths. So few people uh, take the time to really investigate what their strengths are. Uh, I'll often in a facilitation ask people, you know, if you're on a desert island, you know, what would you be known for? Unique, your strengths. Like what, what, would, what would be your gift? And it's fascinating when you can actually kind of list and say, you know what, when I show up for a group, this is kind of what I give. Understanding what that is and playing to your strengths, not kind of defaulting to the deficit world of making up for your shortcomings, but go rock star on those strengths. That's the piece that starts to kind of attract others and cultivate serendipity around you, that, that positive energy. And once you're aware, once you're clear on what your strengths are, your sense of purpose, right? Your credo, 
um, what you want, what you're seeking. You know, and th- these are big questions, but it's really important to think about that before we do any of these things about, you know, lighting a fire under that great idea. You know, does it align to my strengths? Does it align to my purpose? Does it help me grow in my awareness of who I am and, and my community? So those are kind of really key pieces for me that if those are kind of paid attention to, I can be present and I can kind of manifest kind of my desires, my dreams. And it, it will feel and look like magic when that work is done to me. And that's the, uh, the really important piece on just the start for entrepreneurs, for organizations, is just on that very, very personal level. Um, and of course, you know, the practical side, join a volunteer group, right? You know, you get to rehearse, right? For bigger challenges. Uh, you get to practice, you get to hone your skills, you, you can connect to a cohort, you're getting feedback, you're embracing feedback and learning. Um, what a gift to, to know that we've got 34 or more organizations in here that are learning modules and little schools of technical and academic gifts for us to invest in, right? We've got this beautiful landscape of educational opportunities by investing in the nonprofit sector, social profit sector. I just want to say go rock star on those strengths over and over. <laughs> I I love that. Uh, it's such a, a beautiful uh, way to um, end this segment uh, of, of Cortez Community Radio's Folk You Radio Show. Um, You're an awesome interviewer, by the way. I really enjoy it. Thank you so much. Oh, oh, thank you. Well, I... Very comfortable. Uh, <laughs> um, one of my strengths, I think, is that I'm just genuinely curious about other people. You are. Um, so I have fun, and I am also willing to make a lot of mistakes. So thank you, listeners and neighbors, um, and Colin, for being so able to forgive those shortcomings um, so that we can all learn a little bit more from each other. It's been super fun. We uh, So we're saying goodbye to to. Colin, but hopefully not for too long because I think we're going to have to have you back. I'm seeing a whole kind of comedy improv series on Folk You. I mean, it would be so fun. Live radio improv. Live radio improv. What? Like we didn't do that today? <laughs> with more laughs. More laughs. Right, Live yes. radio we improv. Laugh. We with... should have a laugh track. <laughs> Um, I would I could use my own personal left track particularly these days it's 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 good to be reminded that there is a lot of good stuff going on so thank you Colin for being part of that and thank you so much listeners we uh, are going to go to music now uh, you can well actually you probably can't call in right now but you can send questions to you at folku.ca that's the letter u at f-o-l-k-u dot c-a And next, we are going to have on Ginny Evans from the North Island Employment Foundation and going to talk a little bit more about how you as a worker can start to pivot and make use of the opportunities that you're seeing involved or abound right now. So stay tuned. We get to listen to a little bit more Hamilton during the break, and then we will be back with our next guest. Ladies and gentlemen, 
You could have been anywhere in the world tonight, but you're here with us in New York City. Are you ready for a cabinet meeting, huh? The issue on the table. Secretary Hamilton's plan to assume state debt and establish a national bank. Secretary Jefferson, you have the floor, sir. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We fought for these ideals, we shouldn't settle for less. These are wise words, enterprising men quote them. Don't act surprised, you guys, cause I wrote them. Ow, but Hamilton forgets. His plan would have the government assume state debts. Now place your bets as to who that benefits. The very seat of government where Hamilton sits. Not true. Oh, if the shoe fits, wear it. If New York's in debt, why should Virginia bear it? Uh, our debts are paid, I'm afraid. Don't tax the South, cause we got it made in the shade. In Virginia, we plant seeds in the ground. We create, you just wanna move our money around. This financial plan is an outrageous demand, and it's too many damn pages for any man to understand. Stand with me in the land of the free. Pray to God we never see Hamilton's candidacy. Look, when Britain taxed our tea, we got frisky. Imagine what gon' happen when you try to tax our whiskey. Thank you, Secretary Jefferson. Secretary Hamilton, your response. Thomas, that was a real nice declaration. Welcome to the present, we're running a real nation. Would you like to join us? Or staying mellow, doing whatever the hell it is you doing, Monticello. If we assume the debts, the union gets a new line of credit, a financial diuretic, how do you not get it? If we're aggressive and competitive, the union gets a boost, you'd rather give it a sedative? A civics lesson from a slaver, hey neighbor. Your debts are paid because you don't pay for labor. We plant seeds in the South, we create, they keep ranting. We know who's really doing the planting. And another thing, Mr. Age of Enlightenment, don't lecture me about the war, you didn't fight in it. You think I'm frightened of you, man? We almost died in the trench. Well, you are off getting high with the French. Thomas Jefferson always hesitant with the president. Medicine, there isn't a plan he doesn't jettison. Madison, you mad as a hatter, so take your medicine. Damn, you in worse shape than the national debt is in. Sitting there useless as two shits. Hey, turn around, bend over. I'll show you where my shoe fits. Excuse me. Madison, Jefferson, take a walk. Hamilton, take a walk. We're going to reconvene after a brief recess. Hamilton, sir, a word. You don't have the votes. You don't have the votes. <laughs> You're gonna need congressional approval and you don't have the votes. Such a blunder, sometimes it makes me wonder why I even bring the thunder. Why he even brings the thunder? Wanna pull yourself together? I'm sorry, these Virginians are birds of a feather. Young man, I'm from Virginia, so watch your mouth. So we let Congress get held hostage by the South? You need the votes. No, we need bold strokes. We need this no, plan. No, you need to convince more folks. Well, James Madison won't talk to me. That's a non-starter. Ah, winning was easy, young man. Governing's hard. They're being intransigent. You have to find a compromise. But they don't have a plan. They just hate mine. Convince them otherwise. And what happens if I don't get congressional approval? I imagine they'll call for your removal. Sir, figure it out, Alexander. That's an order from your commander. The issue on the table. France is on the verge of war with England. Now, do we provide aid and troops to our French allies, or do we stay out of it? Remember, my decision on this matter is not subject to congressional approval. The only person you have to convince is me. Secretary Jefferson, you have the floor, sir. When we were on death's door, when we were needy, 
We made a promise. We signed a treaty. We needed money and guns and half a chance. Uh, who provided those funds? France. In return, they didn't ask for land. Only a promise that we'd lend a hand and stand with them if they fought against oppressors. And revolution is messy, but now is the time to stand. Stand with our brothers as they fight against tyranny. I know that Alexander Hamilton is here, and he would rather not have this debate. I'll remind you that he is not Secretary of State. He knows nothing of loyalty. Smells like new money, dresses like fake royalty. Desperate to rise above his station. Everything he does betrays the ideals of our nation. Hey, and if you don't know, now you know, Mr. President. Thank you, Secretary Jefferson. Secretary Hamilton, your response. Come on. You must be out of your goddamn mind if you think the president is gonna bring the nation to the brink of meddling in the middle of a military mess, a game of chess where France is queen and kingless. Who signed a treaty with a king whose head is now in a basket? Would you like to take it out and ask it? Or should we honor our treaty, King Louis' head? Uh, do whatever you want. I'm super dead. Enough. Enough. Hamilton is right. Mr. President. It's too fragile to start another fight. But, sir, do we not fight for freedom? Sure, when the French figure out who's gonna lead them. The people are leading. The people are rioting. There's a difference. Frankly, it's a little disquieting. You would let your ideals blind you to reality. Hamilton, sir. Draft a statement of neutrality. Did you forget Lafayette? What? Have you an ounce of regret? You accumulate debt, you accumulate power, yet in their hour of need, you forget. Lafayette's a smart man, he'll be fine. And before he was your friend, he was mine. If we try to fight in every revolution in the world, we never stop. Where do we draw the line? So quick-witted. Alas, I admit it. I bet you were quite a lawyer. My defendants got acquitted. Yeah. Well, someone ought to remind you. What? You're nothing without Washington behind you. Hamilton. <gasps> Daddy's calling. You are listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio. You are just listening to bits from the Hamilton, the musical soundtrack, talk about community leadership and entrepreneurial thinking. I thought that was a good one for today. This is the Folk You Radio Show, and we are about to welcome on, if all goes well, Jenny Evans from North Island Employment. Jenny, are you there? Hello, Amanda. Hello, Cortez Islanders. Good afternoon. Thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity to um, connect. Um, I must say I really, really enjoyed your last segment with Colin. It's been uh, uh, certainly the highlight of my day and I would say the highlight of my week. Uh, thank you so much for for being here, and um, it has been a fun show. And I, it, you know, it is weird. You're on the line. I can't see you. You can't see me. You can't see our listeners. But I do feel like this is a moment where we all get to connect. So thank you for that, Jenny. Can you tell us a little bit more about North Island Employment and what resources they might be able to provide to Islanders? Oh, sure, Amanda. Uh, so North Island Employment, um, or sometimes known as NIFs or NIFs or NEFs, we kind of answer to all of those. <laughs> it's a nonprofit uh, charitable organization, and we've uh, been in operation since 1986. Um, so our main thing, of course, is connecting uh, job seekers and employers and work opportunities. And we serve the whole North Island. So uh, we're based in Campbell River, 
but we serve the whole North Island, as I was saying. So, of course, uh, that covers Cortez and the Discovery Islands, but we also um, serve the areas on the northern tip of Vancouver Island, like Port Hardy and Port Alice and, and Port McNeil, and uh, out on the West Coast. So places like Cayucat and Zabalas and Tassus and Gold River. So uh, we've got a, a, a big um, land area that we uh, try and connect to our services. And so, uh, um, yeah, our, our services um, are the full range of employment and self-employment services. So that can be anything nuts to bolts um, from, you know, job search, you just need a little help with resume or interviews, um, or all the way up to career planning, um, not sure what you want to do, you need to shift into something different, and uh, we offer a full range of career planning services. And then many times when people are making changes, they don't have all the qualifications they need or the training. And so a big part of what we do is help people look into, well, how can I get that training I need? How can I get that work experience? And um, many times people are also looking at, uh, especially in our area, um, I need to look at self-employment um, because there isn't that full-time uh, job out there for me. And so part of what we do is help people start businesses. And what are you seeing right now about uh, employment and self-employment and the changes in what work looks like and the opportunities available during COVID? Yeah, wow. I, I feel like, you know, with COVID-19, things are unfolding before our eyes and it, it's, it's, you know, <laughs> it's hard to say where it's all going to end up. Um, but I think, you know, what we've seen for a long time is that the line between, you know, what is a job or working for someone else versus starting a business or entrepreneurship or self-employment, what we're finding is that line is becoming less and less distinct, more blurry. And um, what is happening is people need to do multiple things using their, their skills and their strengths and talents and their passion. Um, and they need to blend those together, dovetail them, somehow weave together, uh, you know, multiple ways of earning a living or sources of income in order to make, you know, just a sustainable livelihood. Um, I know this has been true for a long time on Cortez and the other North Island communities um, where, you know, as I was saying, that full-time, year-round ongoing employment, it's as rare as a unicorn. And I think with COVID-19, there's just been huge shifts in how we work, and I think there's going to be huge shifts in how we work in the future. And with all this tumultuous change, I think you know, we're moving into what I would call really there is no job versus business versus self-employment. It's all self-employment, whether you're working for yourself, whether you're working for someone else. Um, you know, we're in an era where I think we'll have to take charge of our working lives in ways that we haven't had to before. It's, um, I know Colin talked about that leadership, and I, I really think that personal leadership um, uh, over our working lives and our careers is, is how people need to pivot um, in these changing times. 
So this is a, a perfect um, segue into um, into pivoting, and, and I really like how you brought up um, leadership and what and what Colin was talking about, and it keeps coming to mind how those improvisational strengths that are his personal background never stop. Uh, helping us succeed. And then he used the line, go rock star on your (laughs) strengths. Um, And that's a little bit, I guess, what self-employment forces you to do is to sort of see, okay, like nobody else is necessarily going to advocate for you. Um, You're going to have to learn how to do it on your own. So how, how, you know, how can NIFs um, and individual islanders help? How can we get some help pivoting our livelihoods to keep up with all these changes, to make use of our improvisational uh, abilities or hopeful abilities? Yeah, well, you know, certainly what Colin was talking about in terms of starting with a uh, place of strength and really embracing <laughs> that rock star, your strengths, um, I, because you need to come from a, a place of strength. And we need to develop our own inner compass. And um, when all around us is uh, tumultuous like that, and that compass is driven by, you know, our values and our talents and our strengths and what we are really passionate about. Um, And if we can get clear on that, um, that's where the journey starts. And um, we always have that inner compass to fall back on and go, okay, with all this chaos going on around me, how, you know, I know what I want. I know what is quality of life to me. I know what kind of work um, I'm strong at and skilled at. And then it's a matter of um, looking out there and going and seeing, okay, are there opportunities for me to use my strengths, my skills, and talents? How do I weave them together so that I can earn a living, but most importantly, so I can have the things in my life that are important? What do I want my career, my work, my business uh, to bring me in my life? Because it's about living, it's not about working. And uh, so I think NIAS helps by helping you first take a look at that and then look outwards and forwards towards, you know, where are the opportunities for you to um, shape your life. Another uh, thing that I'm really excited about that, uh, of course, you and, uh, and Colin and Cortez Community Economic Development, we've been talking about for the last little while, is launching a series in the new year called Pivot Cortez. So um, very excited about that. It's still taking shape, and we want the community, of course, to have a say in how that shape is. Um, But we're looking at uh, starting January 12th, online on Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m., we will be holding the Pivot Cortez series session. So for anyone who wants to uh, start down that journey with us, uh, start by looking at, um, you know, what are your strengths, your skills and talents? What are the opportunities that are, that are out there for Cortez Islanders? Um, we want to bring in uh, local entrepreneurs and uh, people that are self-employed uh, to share their insights and, you know, uh, what it takes to, uh, to go down this journey and this path.
Um, and the other thing that I think is really important and that NIAFs can help you with, no matter what you decide to do, is we connect you to the organizations, resource people, programs that can help you launch your ideas, your career, your whether they be career or self-employment, so that you can earn a sustainable livelihood. I, I appreciate how you also talk about um, what one of my fellow neighbors here calls the lifestyle business, mm-hmm. where you have a business or you have livelihood that supports your life rather than living just to work. Um, so I really appreciate that. And I am really looking forward to the pivot series. Is there a place that people can reach out um, to you if they know that they're interested and want to make sure that they're going to hear more about it, uh, where they can f- reach you? Yeah. So a number of ways you can reach us. Um, you can, um, Call our office, our main office number. Uh, it's uh, 250-286-3441. Um, you can also hop online, and you can either Google NIAFs, N-I-E as in Edward, F as in Fox, S as in Sunshine, and our website will pop up uh, right away with all our contact information. And um, if you ask for Jenny when you call into NIAFs, um, they will uh, connect you to me or they will get me to call you back. Um, you, there's also ways to reach us, of course, by email. Uh, so all that information will be on our website. Um, we're also going to post about this series and, you know, our other services that we can offer um, on Cortez Tideline. So keep an eye out for that. And, of course, uh, follow NIAFs on Facebook or whatever social media platform uh, is your choice, and uh, we'll be posting information on that too. Um, I am looking at hosting this series on um, Zoom, and but if you're in a position where you don't have Internet um, at home or you don't have the equipment to access the Internet, um, again, talk to Amanda or myself, um, because another new thing that is um, pretty exciting is NIAS has a very small tech, line, tech lending library that um, we're hoping to coordinate uh, with Manda and Cortez Literacy. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Jenny. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to doing more with you to help pivot Cortez. Um, <laughs> oh, me too. I'm very excited. <laughs> So thanks for joining us today. Um, and just to follow up with what Jenny was saying, you're always welcome to email me at Folk University. That's you at folku.ca. So the letter U at F-O-L-K-U dot C-A. Uh, and I will help put you in touch with Jenny um, and connect you to other resources that you might need. And of course, Keep looking at CortezIsland.com and FolkU.ca on the web to find out about the upcoming Pivot series. And also, remember earlier in the series, we were talking with Colin from CETA, and the LEAP report might be something that after today you want to go and check out to see what the local economic action plan for Cortez is and what it can tell us about perhaps the future of... Um, 
you know, livelihood-based businesses uh, on this island. So you can go check that out at the CETA website. It's called the Leap Report and the CETA website. Oh, no, I'm pretty sure it's C-C-E-D-A dot org. But now I realize I do not know for sure. Once again, if you can't find it, you can email me. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Folk U Radio. I'm going to end with a, a little one last uh, song from Hamilton. So today we have had our entrepreneurial leadership uh, talks um, dispersed with music from the musical Hamilton. And I thought that was particularly appropriate because talk about someone who was willing to shake things up. Um, and it's also, you know, perhaps not bad for us to remember that uh, the U.S. Uh, began with a hopeful experiment. <laughs> so thank you so much for for listening in to Folk U Radio. You can listen to this or past Folk U Radio programs by visiting our website at the letter U at F-O-L-K-U dot C-A. That's U at Folk U dot C-A is our email. The website is Folk U dot C-A. And or you can also catch us on the air every Friday from 1 to 3 and Saturday from 5 to 7 at CKTZ 89.5 FM, your Cortez Community Radio Station. Thank you so much for being with us. I wrote my way out. When the world turned its back on me, I was up against the wall. I had no foundation, no friends or no family to catch my fall. Running on empty, with nothing left in me but doubt. I picked up a pen and I wrote my way I picked up the pen like Hamilton, street analyst. Now I write words to try to channel them. No political power, just lyrical power. Sitting on a crate on the corner, sipping for hours. Scheming on a come up from evening to sun up. My man awaiting trial. Misdemeanors were younger. Courtroom prejudice, insufficient evidence. Jailhouse lawyers, these images still relevant. Flickering light inside my project hall. Sickening the mice crawl all night long. In 87 Reaganism, many pages I've written on. Writing songs about rights and wrongs and bells, bonds. Master bedroom, bigger than the crib that I was raised at. I'm the architect, like I wrote the code, the ways app. I'm driven. Black Elohim from the streets of Queens The definition of what it was written means Know what I mean I wrote my way When the world turned its back on me I was up against the wall I had no foundation No friends and no family to catch my fall Running on empty There was nothing left in me But doubt I picked up a pen and I wrote my way out. I really wrote my way up out of 6E. Develop relationships with fiends. I know they miss me. Before the Metro cars, it was tokens. I did the 10 speed. Never had rode a rhyme in my life. What was a 16 and 16? Arrested in housing, trip to the mountains. Came right back. Trapping off couches, watching for mouses. Only tools we was posed with. Had a spot smoke lit. The hate is just confusion. Pay attention how them jokes switch. Theodora was my favorite. The Mark Buchanan's mama couldn't afford them. I learned everything on the border. That's a big eight. Clico parties with private dance. With no mixtape, Bumblebee tuna, now we could get steak. I persevered, composition, I kept it close, competition near. I'm a Spartan without the spear. 300 rounds, it was written before I wrote it. Opportunity knocking, might miss it, that window closing. This poetry in motion, I'm a poet.
my way up. When the world turned its back on me, I was up against the wall. I had no foundation, no friends or no family to catch my fall. Rhymes in my dual cassette deck Running out of time like I'm Jonathan Lawson's rent check My mind is where the wild things are I'm a resendack And withdrawal, I want it all Please give me that pen back Y'all, I caught my first beating from the other kids When I was caught reading Oh, you think you smart, but I start bleeding My pops tried in vain to get me to fight back Sister tapped my brain, said Psh, You'll get him right back Oversensitive, defenseless I made sense of it, my pencil in The lengths to which I'd go to learn my strengths And not come senseless These sentences are endless So what if they leave me friendless? Damn, you got no chill Fucking right I'm relentless. I know Abuela's never really gonna win the lottery. So it's up to me to draw blood with this pen hidden artery. This Puerto Rican's brains are leaking through the speakers. And if he can be the shining beacon, the side of the GWB and shine a light when it's gray out. I wrote my way out. Oh, I was born in the eye of the storm. No loving arms to keep me warm. This hurricane in my brain is the burden I bear. I can do without That's it for another edition of Folk U Radio. If you'd like to learn more about Folk U or subscribe to our podcast series, visit us at folku.ca. That's F O L K U dot C A. Folk U is produced at CKTZ 89.5 FM Cortez Radio dot CA. Brains almost always got something lame it's got to say. It's embarrassing all the stupid things I can't.